Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. It was already long past midnight. Artaban rode in haste, and Vazda flew over the ground like a gazelle. But the first beam of the sun sent her shadow before her as she entered upon the final stadium of the journey. And Artaban, anxiously scanning the great mound of Nimrod and the Temple of the Seven Spheres, could discern no trace of his friends. Artaban dismounted and climbed to the highest terrace, looking toward the west. The huge desolation of the marshes stretched away to the horizon and the border of the desert, but there was no sign of the caravan of the wise men, far or near. At the terrace edge he saw a cairn of broken bricks, and under them a piece of parchment. He read, We can delay no longer. We go to find the king. Follow us across the desert. Artaban sat down and covered his head in despair. How can I cross the desert, said he, with no food and with a spent horse? I must return to Babylon, sell my sapphire and buy a train of camels and provision for the journey. Only God the Merciful knows whether I shall not lose the sight of the king, because I tarried to show mercy. For the sake of a little child. There was silence in the Hall of Dreams, and through this silence I saw, but very dimly, the other wise man's figure passing over the dreary undulations of the desert, high upon the back of his camel, rocking steadily onward like a ship over the waves. The land of death spread its cruel net around him. The stony wastes bore no fruit but briars and thorns. Arid and inhospitable mountain ranges rose before him. Shifting hills of treacherous sand were heaped like tombs along the horizon. By day, the fierce heat pressed its intolerable burden on the quivering air, and no living creature moved but tiny jerboas, scuttling through the parched bushes, or lizards vanishing in the clefts of the rock. By night, jackals barked in the distance, while a blighting chill followed the fever of the day. Through heat and cold, the Magion moved on. Then I saw the gardens and orchards of Damascus, watered by the streams of Abana and Farfar. I saw the long snowy ridge of Hermon, the dark groves of cedars, the valley of the Jordan, the blue waters of the Lake of Galilee, and, far beyond, the highlands of Judah. Through all these, Artaban moved steadily onward until he arrived at Bethlehem, bearing his ruby and his pearl to offer to the king. For now at last, he said, I shall surely find him, though it be alone and later than my brethren. The streets of the village seemed deserted. From the open door of a low stone cottage, Artaban heard the sound of a woman's voice singing softly. He entered and found a young mother hushing her baby to rest. She told him of the strangers from the Far East who had appeared in the village three days ago. They said that a star had guided them to the place where Joseph of Nazareth was lodging with his wife Mary and her newborn child, Jesus, and how they had paid reverence to the child and laid gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh at his feet. 
but the travelers disappeared again, as suddenly as they had come. We were afraid at the strangeness of their visit. The family from Nazareth fled that same night secretly, and it was whispered that they were going far away to Egypt. Ever since, something evil hangs over our village. They say Roman soldiers are coming from Jerusalem to force a new tax from us, and the men have hidden themselves to escape it. The child in her arms looked up in Artaban's face and smiled, stretching out its rosy hands to him. His heart warmed to the touch. Might not this child have been the promised prince? He asked himself. Kings have been born in lowlier houses than this. The favorite of the stars may rise even from a cottage. But no, it has not seemed good to the God of wisdom to reward my search so easily. The one I seek has gone before me, and now I must follow the king to Egypt. The young mother laid the babe in its cradle and set food before the strange guest that fate had brought into her house. It was the plain fare of peasants, but willingly offered, and therefore full of refreshment for the soul as well as for the body. As Artaban ate, the child fell into a happy slumber and murmured sweetly in its dreams. But suddenly there came the noise of a wild confusion in the streets, a shrieking and wailing of women's voices, a clangor of trumpets and a desperate cry, Soldiers! The soldiers of Herod! They are killing our children! White with terror, the mother crouched motionless in the darkest corner of the room, covering her child with the folds of her robe, lest he wake and cry. But Artaban went and stood in the doorway of the house, his broad shoulders filling the portal from side to side. At the sight of the imposing stranger, the soldiers with bloody hands and dripping swords hesitated. The captain approached to thrust him aside, but Artaban's face was as calm as though he were watching the stars, and in his eyes burned that steady radiance before which even the half-tamed hunting leopard shrinks. He held the soldier silently for an instant, and then said in a low voice, I am alone in this place, and waiting to give this jewel to the prudent captain who will leave me in peace. He showed the ruby, glistening in his hand like a great drop of blood. The pupils of the captain's eyes expanded with desire, and he stretched out his hand for the ruby. March on, he cried to his men. There is no child here. As the clamor and clang of arms passed down the street, Artaban turned his face to the east and prayed, God of truth, forgive my sin. I have said the thing that is not, to save the life of a child, and two of my gifts are gone. I have spent for man that which was meant for God. Shall I ever be worthy? to see the face of the king. But the woman, weeping for joy behind him, said gently, May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. The Way of Sorrow Then again there was a silence in the Hall of Dreams. 
and I understood that under the deep, mysterious stillness the years of Artaban were flowing swiftly. I caught only a glimpse here and there of him moving among the throngs in populous Egypt, seeking everywhere for signs of the household that had come down from Bethlehem. He found traces under the spreading sycamores of Heliopolis and beneath the walls of New Babylon beside the Nile, but traces so faint and dim they vanished before him continually as footprints on the hard river sand glisten for a moment with moisture and then disappear. I saw him again at the foot of the pyramids, monuments of the perishable glory and imperishable hope of man. He looked up into the vast countenance of the crouching sphinx and tried to read the meaning of that inscrutable smile. Was it, indeed, the mockery of all effort and aspiration, the cruel jest of a search that can never succeed? Or was there a touch of encouragement, a promise that even the defeated should attain a victory, the blind sea? and the wandering enter the haven at last. I saw him again in an obscure house of Alexandria, taking counsel with a Hebrew rabbi. The venerable man, bending over the rolls of parchment, read aloud prophecies which foretold the sufferings of the promised Messiah, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And remember, my son, said he, fixing his deep-set eyes upon Artaban, the king you are seeking is not to be found in a palace, not among the rich and powerful. The light for which the world is waiting is a new light, the glory that shall rise out of patient, triumphant suffering. And the kingdom which is to be established forever is a new kingdom, the royalty of perfect, unconquerable love. I do not know how this shall come to pass, or how the turbulent kings and peoples of earth shall be brought to acknowledge this Messiah, but this I know. Those who seek him will do well to look among the poor and lowly, the sorrowful and oppressed. I saw the other wise men traveling and searching among the people of the dispersion, with whom the family from Bethlehem might perhaps have found refuge. He passed through countries where famine lay heavy. He made his dwelling in plague-stricken cities where the sick languished in misery. He visited the oppressed in the gloom of subterranean prisons, the crowded wretchedness of slave markets, the weary toil of galley ships. In all this populous and intricate world of anguish, though he found none to worship, he found many to help. He fed the hungry healed the sick, and comforted the captive. And his years went by more swiftly than the weaver's shuttle that flashes back and forth through the loom while the invisible pattern is completed. It seemed almost as if he had forgotten his quest. But once I saw him for a moment as he stood alone at sunrise, waiting at the gate of a Roman prison. He had taken from a secret resting place in his bosom the pearl, the last of his jewels. As he looked at it, a mellower luster, full of shifting gleams of azure and rose, trembled upon its surface. It seemed to have absorbed some reflection of the colors of the lost sapphire and ruby. So the profound, secret purpose of a noble life draws into itself the memories of past joy and past sorrow, 
all transfused by a subtle magic into its very essence. It becomes more luminous and precious the longer it is carried close to the warmth of the beating heart. Then, at last, while I was thinking of this pearl and its meaning, I heard the end of the story of the other wise man. A pearl of great price. Three and thirty years of Artaban's quest had passed, and his hair, once darker than the cliffs of Zagros, was now white as the wintry snow. His eyes, that once flashed like flames of fire, were as embers smoldering among the ashes. Worn and weary and ready to die, but still a pilgrim looking for the king, he had come to Jerusalem. He had often searched the holy city before, without finding any trace of the family who had fled from Bethlehem long ago. But now it seemed as if he must make one more effort. The children of Israel, scattered in far lands all over the world, had returned to the temple for the great feast of the Passover. The city was thronged with strangers, and on this day there was a singular agitation. The sky was veiled with a portentous gloom. The currents of excitement seemed to flash through the crowd. The clatter of sandals and the soft, thick sound of thousands of bare feet shuffling over the stones flowed unceasingly along the street leading to the Damascus Gate. Seeing a group from his own country, Parthian Jews, Artaban inquired where they were going. To the place called Golgotha, outside the city walls, they answered. Have you not heard? Two famous robbers are to be crucified, and with them a man called Jesus of Nazareth, who has done many wonderful works among the people. But the priests and elders say he must die, because he gave himself out to be the Son of God. And Pilate has sent him to the cross, because he said he was the king of the Jews. How strangely these familiar words fell upon the tired heart of Artaban. They had led him for a lifetime over land and sea. Could it be the same at whose birth the star had appeared in heaven, and of whose coming the prophets had spoken? Artaban's heart beat excitedly. The ways of God are stranger than the thoughts of men, he said within himself. It may be that I shall find the king at last, and shall come in time to offer my pearl for his ransom before he dies. So the old man followed the multitude toward the Damascus gate. Just beyond the entrance of the guardhouse, a troop of soldiers came down the street, dragging a young girl with a torn dress. As the Magian paused, she saw his white cap, and the winged circle on his breast, and broke from the hands of her tormentors to throw herself at his feet. Have pity, she cried, and save me for the sake of the God of purity. My father was a merchant of Parthia, but he is dead, and I am seized for his debts to be sold as a slave. Save me! Audubon trembled. It was the old conflict in his soul between faith's expectation and love's impulse. Twice the gift he had consecrated to religion had been drawn from his hand to the service of humanity. This was the third trial, the final choice. Was it his great opportunity or his last temptation? He could not tell. 
One thing only was sure. To rescue this helpless girl would be a true deed of love. And is not love the light of the soul? He took the pearl from his bosom. Never had it seemed so luminous, so full of tender living luster. He laid it in the slave girl's hand. This is thy ransom, daughter, the last of my treasures I kept for the king. While he spoke, the darkness thickened and the earth heaved convulsively. House walls rocked, stones crashed into the street, dust clouds filled the air. The soldiers fled in terror, but Artaban and the girl crouched beneath the wall of the praetorium. What had he to fear? Or to live for? He had parted with the last hope of finding the king. The quest was over, and it had failed. But even in that thought, accepted and embraced, there was peace. He knew all was well, because he had done the best that he could from day to day. He had been true to the light given to him. He had looked for more, and if he had not found it, if failure was all, doubtless that was the best that was possible. If he could live his life over again, it could not be otherwise. One more lingering pulsation of the earthquake and a heavy tile, shaken from the roof, fell and struck the old man on the temple. He lay, with his gray head resting on the girl's shoulder the blood trickling from the wound. As she bent over him, there came a voice through the twilight, like music sounding from a distance. The old man's lips moved, as if in answer, and she heard him say in the Parthian tongue, Not so, my lord, for when saw I thee hungry and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw I thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Three and thirty years have I looked for thee, but I have never seen thy face, nor ministered to thee, my king. He ceased, and the voice came again, very faintly, but now it seemed the maid too understood the words. Verily I say unto thee, Inasmuch as thou hast done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, thou hast done it unto me. A calm radiance of wonder and joy lighted the pale face of Artaban like the first rays of dawn. One long last breath of relief exhaled gently from his lips. His journey was ended. His treasures were accepted. The other wise man had found the king. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.